Hi, my name is Jamie Lynch, and you are listening to Eating Habits, my podcast about everything restaurants. I will explore the human element of the hospitality business, and I'll talk to the who's who in restaurants, explore their stories, and hear what's on their minds in the ever-changing landscape of the food and beverage industry. This is Chef Adam Hodgson, and you're listening to Eating Habits. What's up, bubs? Nothing much, man. How you doing, Chef? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, cool. So Adam and I just got back to Nashville from Denver. Yep. Um, we were traveling to Denver together to do a walkthrough of the new restaurant space for Church and Union Denver. Yeah, we're super stoked about that. Yeah, let's talk about it a little bit. So we just got back from that. We were um, we were there to I don't know, take a look at the kitchen designs, walk through it with our designer, see what kind of things we could do. What'd you think? Man, I thought that our, our trip was very successful. The space is awesome. Being able to get in there gutted uh, and getting a perspective of what we can actually do with the space to make it, you know, efficient to our needs is, is just amazing. And, uh, you know, we have a good group of guys, you and our designer, you know, to, to really make that happen and make kind of like our visions come unfolded. Uh, so, so it was a lot of fun, and I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. It's like the, the fun part. To, to opening up the store. Right, yeah, it's like the creation phase. Where yeah. You get to put ideas into play and see how they work. Let me ask you this. So you've been, you've been with me. We've been working together for the past decade. You just celebrated your 10-year anniversary with Fifth Street Group. Congratulations. Thank you. Yep. And you've been a part of opening many concepts with us. How, how is that different now than maybe in the early years when you were a sous chef or a line cook or, or whatever, like, like what's, what, what's different about the trips that we're doing now for you than kind of the planning stages of our, our restaurants early on? Well, the early on days, we, we had to do what we had to do to make things happen. Right. We, you know, we didn't have five successful restaurants under our belt. You know, and so our options weren't as open as they are now. You know, we have the opportunity to get really good spaces. We have more more financial backing to get all the stuff that we need to, to make our jobs easier and more efficient. Our um, budgets are a little better. Yeah, our budgets are a lot better. You know, <laughs> it's, it's opened up. You it's know? opened up the, uh, the 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 window shopping is a little more fun when you have you know. A little bit of money to spend rather than a couple nickels to rub together. <laughs> yeah, 100%, man. Like, I still remember, you know, you interviewing me in, like, 2012. And I started the, the following week after Quail Hollow. And it was like, all right, the next week we are going to detail all of this equipment. Because we had pretty much all used equipment. And we had to just completely scrub it all, make it look brand new uh, before we can even start. Uh, you know, putting everything together. And, right. you know, now when we open up a restaurant, we get all brand new stuff and it's it's great. And we get the latest and greatest, you know, technology. Uh, and it really helps kind of dial in our food and in our operations. Yeah. Let's talk about the kitchen layout process, right? Um, so you didn't really have much to do with the kitchen layout of um, our original restaurant, Five Church, back in the day, now Church and Union Charlotte. 
that kitchen was kind of put together for us. That was the kitchen where we actually had to Frankenstein the equipment back together and, you know, <laughs> learn how to like fix thermostats on a, on a, on a fryer and stuff like that to get the kitchen to work. And we pretty much opened with most of the equipment that was in there. Yep. So fast forward 10 years, we've, we've done a couple of um, restaurants where we've mixed matchied. We used some used equipment. We got some new equipment, kind of made that work. Denver, uh, other than Tempest, Tempest was the first restaurant kitchen that we designed from scratch. Yes. So Church in Union Denver will be the second store that we designed the kitchen from scratch. Pros and cons for that for you. Well, I think that after opening up Five Church, Man and Byron's, Five Church in Charleston, which is now Church in Union, you know, going through those three restaurant openings and experiences with what we had, the layout that was given to us, and the spaces that we had to work with, going into the designing phase is a game changer. Because when you have an open space that you can transform to whatever you want, you have the capability of kind of putting your vision to light as to all of the things that we weren't able to do in the space limitations that we had in the previous restaurants to how can we make those better and more efficient in the next spaces. And so going, going through to Tempest, Nashville, and Denver, like seeing those operations kind of, kind of just unfold and be really efficient compared to the struggles that we had with the first three is, is just an amazing, and it's a complete game changer. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think that there's for you, do you, do you think that what's more important to you when looking at putting together the layout for one of our kitchens? What, what is most important to you? What, what, what are the, what are the, let's say like, what is your kind of like list of things that you're thinking about when I hit you up and I'm like, Hey, Chef, we need to talk about uh, Church in Union Denver, right? Like, what, what do you start thinking about as far as priorities when, when we're going to go to the table and start designing something like that? So first, do we have everything we need? All right. Uh, that's What do you mean by that? Like everything we need. All the equipment that we need. Okay. Right. Do Does we the equipment th- package include what we need to, to do our menu? Yeah. Like, for example, mm-hmm. when we were going through the Denver, we were like, do we even have a freezer? Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. we, 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 which there we was, did not. There, there was no scheduled for, freezer. Yeah, yeah. For, for the note, there was no <laughs> freezer scheduled on this at all. <laughs> so, like, do we have everything we need first and foremost? Then, how do we arrange it to where the flow of the kitchen makes sense? Because, uh-huh. because that right there is just as important as having everything we need. When you when you talk about flow for the kitchen, what comes to mind? Like, explain for like the listeners what that means. Like, what kind of flow? So when you arrange, so when you arrange a line, a kitchen line or hot line or cold line, it all needs to make sense on how the food is prepared and comes up to the chef, in order for it to go out to the guests seamless and prepared properly. And if your kitchen is not laid out with a specific flow. Or, or a specific design in order for that to be efficient, you run into a lot of problems. Just, just getting everything out to the guests in a proper time and prepared properly. So when you arrange all the, all the equipment on the line and where everything's placed in your kitchen, it should have a specific purpose as to why it's going there. And that's not only true for just your, your hot or your action stations, but also 
in your storage areas too. You need to make sure you have enough space in your storage area to store all your stuff that you need. You need to make sure that your where you place your walk-in boxes makes sense to where your your line is, and just to make it easy for the staff to be able to get their mise en place and prep their food, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I always try to think about when we're looking at a restaurant flow or a kitchen design is how all of the pieces are going to work together to put the best plate of food out to our guests as possible, right? And for me, a helpful tool to use to do that is I think about if I, if I imagine the, you know, the chicken breast is being a car on the highway, how is it going to get to the final destination, right? Right. For as far as entering the restaurant, to getting to storage, to getting to prep, to getting to wherever, to the line, to the guest. And I follow that track in the, in the physical space. And I say, okay, so if, if the product's going to come in from here, it's going to come through this door, where does it need to go? How does it get there? And who puts it there? And then, and I, and I literally go through the checklist like that, and I, th- and that's how I kind of look at a space. And for us, that can be sometimes very frustrating, <laughs> big time, because <laughs> we don't always get to pick exactly where the restaurant or where the kitchen's going to be in our restaurants. Sometimes yep. it's a, it's you know, it makes most sense to be here, right? Because uh, you know, let's say it's a storefront, right? And you're like, okay, well, we're not going to put the kitchen there, and it's going to be where the bar is or the guests or whatever. And so, at times, we are stuck with a difficult layout to have to work with how do you reconcile that like like let's say for in nashville for instance we had some serious mechanical challenges to face because we're in a skyscraper so there were you know exhaust issues that we had to deal with there was a lot of mechanics that ended up having to be inserted into the kitchen because there was nowhere on the exterior of the building for them to go which ended up eating up quite a bit of space um, that we thought would be, you know, usable <laughs> prep space, and then turned into now it's know, dry storage. Yeah, dry storage <laughs> or dead space. When that happens, how do you reconcile that with your plan in your head? Well, you just got to get creative. Um, you know, fortunately, we have four, four or five restaurants under our belt by the time we got here. But you know, you really got to look at your space and see where you can get where you can make things happen in the areas that you that you do have in the, the working space that you do have and where you can sacrifice a little bit of space to make your other things happen, like our prep space, which we thought was there, which is now dry storage because the ceiling is five feet tall, right? <laughs> you know, we, we could have used that for cold storage or dry storage. That's the, the only, only options we had there. And so we – we just had to make little adjustments here and there. What can we do with this hallway in the back now? Okay, is this just going to be, you know, storage hallway, which we originally planned for? Or do we now transfer the storage to where that, that low ceiling area is and move our prep back there, install a couple sinks, so on and so forth? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just about, you know, getting into the space putting a vision into place and just, just getting creative as to where, how you can make that space work the best for you. What has been your number one tool at handling that kind of adversity or creativity or whatever? Like, do you, you know, is it, 
is it creativity? Is it like having to think outside the box or is it being flexible or like what, what, what do you find to be the most useful tools that you use when, when faced with those kind of, because they happen all the time in the restaurant business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this right. is something that's like every day there's a fire, an issue, something's going on that needs immediate attention, needs an executive decision made. What, what tools do you employ to, to kind of handle those kind of adversities? Yeah, there's never a dull moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, def- definitely what you said, the creativity aspect and a, a little bit of sacrifice, too. You know, you're, you're not always going to get what you want. You know, in a perfect world, <laughs> we would have the most perfectly designed kitchens with the, the top of the line equipment, the best of the best, the whole nine yards. But at the end of the day, that doesn't always, you know, match the budget or make sense or whatever. Or uh, ever. You know, or ever, ever happened. You know, <laughs> and so, you know, uh, be, being humble and, and being able to get creative and make certain sacrifices um, that make sense you know, is, is your, your, my biggest tool. Like, you know, just, just realizing going into it that, okay, I'm going to have to make some sacrifices. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go into this with a positive mind and, and just do the best we can to make this work the best. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, you're, you're not always going to get what you want, but you can figure out how to get it as close as you want. Sure. Cool. That's a good, that's a good perspective. So you have been, so you started with the company. Tell us a little bit of your story about what, what your trajectory with us and, and kind of like your road to becoming the VP of culinary with Fifth Street Group. Like what, 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 what was your trajectory to get where you are right now? Okay, so you want me to start from like the beginning or the beginning of five years? It's your story. Okay, so <laughs> when I was a kid, my mother was the type of mother that as soon as I could reach the knobs on something, I was responsible for doing that for myself. So laundry cooking i mean she still cooked for me but like when i could reach the knobs on the stove i was cooking my own food right mm-hmm. okay so i learned very young the responsibility of doing chores and all that kind of stuff and i really enjoyed making my own food you know get home after after school and uh you know even if it was like pimp my mac you know going through the pantry and taking the mac and cheese and just you know loading it up with lots of goodies i enjoyed doing that so when i was a kid i knew i wanted to do one of two things, okay? I had two solid interests. One was being a chef, mm-hmm. okay? Two was being in the military. You know, I thought when I was a teenager, it was fascinating that I could get paid to blow shit up, <laughs> right? And so I did ROTC in high school as an elective, and I did, like, culinary arts in um, high school as well as another elective. And I did both of those to dial in what I wanted to do. So senior year... I enjoyed both, and I was a little torn, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with being a chef because I don't want to be locked into extreme discipline. Well, <laughs> little did I know yeah. that being a chef is just as disciplined as being in the military. Um, Except when you blow shit up in a kitchen, it's not cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when you blow it up in the military, it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I ended up going to culinary school. I went to Johnson & Wales in Charleston. I did three years at Johnson & Wales, two years in Charleston, one year in Charlotte. When the campus moved to Charlotte, the class size was much larger. The, I just felt like the attention wasn't on the students as much as it was in Charleston with a 15-person class versus a 45-person class. So I dropped out halfway through my bachelor's degree, 
and just decided to get the rest of my education through working. So I worked at various restaurants in Charlotte. I ended up kind of um, moving around, moved to, to Denver for a couple years, moved back to Charlotte, started working with uh, Nobles Group. Actually, I worked with Nobles Group before I moved to Denver for a year or so, and then did a few more years with Nobles. I got I worked my way up the ladder at Nobles. I got to uh, CDC. Uh, they had me placed at Nobles Grill in Winston-Salem at the time, and I was living in Charlotte, traveling back and forth. And Jim offered me the executive chef managing partner job of that store. Now, the general manager was not as interested and, you know, how's the right way to say this, <laughs> uh, pushing the envelope and, and I really wanted to make a name for myself, mm-hmm. right? If it was going to be my first opportunity to be EC, I wanted to go all in, right? right? And, and this guy was, was just, I'm just going to make things good every yeah. day, not yeah. what can we do to change the Stat- Status quo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I respectfully denied the position. And uh, at that time, you guys were opening up Five Church in, in Charlotte. And I got word that you guys were hiring, and immediately I uh, got connected with, with your CDC. And we, we sat down for an interview. You hired me on the spot. And you were like, unfortunately, we, we don't have room for a, a second sous chef, you know? But, you know. <laughs> a second sous chef. <laughs> yeah. What were we thinking? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but you're like. The, there, there will be a time where if you, if you, you know, give it your all and, and you prove your worth, you know, when that position opens, we, we can put you in there. And within like two weeks of us being open, you guys quickly realize that, hey, we, we need another, another <laughs> Sue. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you and Kyle were putting in like 200 hours a week. Yeah. We, were, we, <laughs> were, we were burning the candle hard. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so you put me into a sous chef role, like a junior sous chef, whatever, whatever we called it back then. Yeah. And, and that's how it started off at Five Church. And I'll tell you, I think the most important characteristic of that move for me is why you received a promotion so quickly to sous chef. Because for me, and a lot of you might notice this too about how I hire people is I like to hire people that aren't super egotistical and that have a maybe inflated idea of their worth, right? Yeah. Everybody has this like idea that they're they're worth this and that and 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 the you being okay with taking a step back to get in with our team and having that first agree, agreeable attitude to say, okay, cool, I, I'll do that, right? I'll, I'll sh- prove my worth. I'll show you what I can do. And that lack of ego is one of the things that, that turned me on to you as far as from a management perspective. So let's carry on. Okay. So, well, thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the first, first year was probably the, the most intense kitchen experience I had ever been a part of. Me too. Like we had. Because <laughs> that was my first EC role. So yeah. it was it was nonstop. I mean, it was great. I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, I look back on those years, and although they were really hard, and we went through a lot of stuff together, going through that experience, I believe, has made me who I am today. You know, like you did a very good job at breaking me down and then building me back up. Right. But like, but we. We just, we had no option but to succeed, mm-hmm. and we treated every day the same way. 
and it was I, I believe it was like it was like seal week or seal training like hell week mm-hmm. you know that was our hell week yeah it was right to get us prepared for for the next step mm-hmm. you know we moved on to nans and i remember you guys wanted me to take the leading role there i respectfully asked to remain at five church that was kind of the the food i wanted to do mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm so glad i did man like not that i wasn't proud of our our nans project but i believe that staying staying with five church and going through the motions with, with you, Kyle and Patrick, prepared me to to be able to take on our project after that, which was Charleston. Mm-hmm. When we opened up Charleston, we moved down there, and I was the the CDC. And the deal was that if I was able to hold down the finances, you know, keep good reviews, prove prove my worth, mm-hmm. and the leadership role, that I would be granted executive chef status. And the first six months there, man, actually the first year, but the first six months were, were very hard. You know, I had never been the executive chef of a restaurant, let alone a restaurant of that size and mm-hmm. caliber before. Yeah, I'd sure. work for you, but like I wasn't the guy. Right. You know? And so the first six months was just me figuring out how to be the guy. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like going back to Hell Week, mm-hmm. you know? You were up in Charlotte holding down all three restaurants we had up there. Or I'm sorry, two restaurants we had up there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me and Patrick were, were like on the ground in Charleston every day. And while you were handling Charlotte affairs, Pat was stepped into your role like <laughs> right, we did yeah. year one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he actually worked in the kitchen with us for, for a solid like six, eight months, you know, two, three days a week. And I think at one point you guys were, were debating even bringing in a chef to, to like spend some time with me uh-huh. to be that number one person to to continue some training with me sure um you know fortunately for me you guys did not go that route you put some faith in me Mm -hmm. gave me some some more guidance and got me to that ec role and it's it's been like no turning back ever since you know what was the most difficult part of the process from moving from a a cdc or a sous chef to an executive chef for you um, but uh, first of all, let's let's set the, the 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 tone a little bit for people who may not know. Our first year in Charleston was brutal for us because we were perceived as out of towners coming down from Charlotte. Even though you had gone to school in Charleston, which is one of the reasons we really liked you for this for that role, yep. is that you were familiar with Charleston. You'd lived there for years. You you, you knew the purveyors, things like that. But the media, the locals, it's a very kind of small clique yep. of local restaurants. And I think breaking through that was really difficult. It was. Um, and that first year was really rough on us from you know, getting good press, getting a solid, you know, getting solid business under our feet. Getting the um, locals to come in. Yeah, I think, I think also Market Street, where the restaurant's located, was going through kind of a renaissance at that time. There was just a lot of factors that made it super difficult. But beyond that... Because you can't control the weather, right? Yeah. Like there's a certain things that are just out of our hands, and there's nothing you can do. What was the most difficult thing for you making that move from from like a supporting chef role to the to the shot caller? Okay, so the best way for me to explain this is uh, going back to that conversation that you and Patrick had on the back patio about four or five months in. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but you and Pat sat me down. And you pretty much said that this restaurant is yours. You need to own this restaurant, okay? And we don't want you to cook like Jamie anymore. You even said, I don't want you to cook like me. Mm -hmm. Don't do my food. Do your food. Mm -hmm. Be your own chef. 
you know, be your own leader, get your team behind you. You know, um, you gave me that pep talk and almost like you giving me permission to do whatever I want in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I had been so used to doing what you want Mm -hmm. because that's my job as a supporting chef. Right. Chef is always right. Even when chef is wrong, chef is right. (laughs) That's rule number one of (laughs) chef club. (laughs) It is, you know, so no matter what chef tells you to do, he's right and you do it. Right. Right. And now that was becoming my role. Uh And so going from being in a number two role where you have a solid leader that command gives you commands or direction, you know, every day to being the person that is giving the commands and the direction was the hardest thing because you have to change your mentality. You have to change the way that you operate every day from being the follower to being Uh the leader. Right. And I'm going to execute this list to the best of my ability to I'm going to put together the best plan for my team to be successful. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, that transformation happened, but it didn't happen overnight. It was a, it was yeah. a work in progress. But that was the catalyst that started my transformation from being the follower to the leader. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that probably quickly after that, if I'm if I remember correctly, we started getting, you know, better reviews, mm-hmm. the, the had good staff retention, you know, all, all the boxes that need to be checked as far as, you know, getting a grasp on good leadership started, started, you know, getting checked off. Right. You know, so you think it was related to, um, to like the freedom to take control, yeah, like the passing of the torch or the reins or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I do remember that now that you say it. I had no recollection of that until you mentioned it. I was like, oh, I do remember that. I was like, oh, man, that was good leadership. I was like, I myself on the back. Yeah, it was. But, you know, that, that taking, getting to that place of trust took us a long time. I mean, we had, there was a lot of money on the line in the build out of the Charleston store. The business was not doing particularly well. Um, I mean, the food was excellent that we were putting out. But the, we weren't doing monstrous sales. We didn't have the volume of business that we, that, you know, we eventually got. I mean, that was worrisome. We were like, oh, shit, you know, what's going on? So, so getting to that place of trust to be able to hand it over to somebody else was, was hard for us to do. Uh, but you definitely earned it, for sure, which paved the way for you to move into the role that you are in now. Yeah. So I was the... Let's East, talk about that. What's yeah. that like? So I was the, the EC for... Five Church, which is now Church and Union in Charleston for what five years, mm-hmm. and then we um, something like that, yeah. yeah, something like that. And you know, right around COVID time, we we had discussed putting me in a, a different sort of role because we were opening up Tempest, and we didn't want to. We wanted to have like a CDC in place at each each of the stores there, right next to each other. And I was to oversee both Tempest and Five Church, and so I was going to move into a, a regional culinary director type position, which that was new. I mean, I'd never been in charge of two stores before mm-hmm. I've been in charge of one. And I got the, got the hang of that by the end of the fifth year, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's kind of like our company. That's like a way we roll. It's like, as soon as somebody starts to get it, we're like, okay, boom, here's a whole, you, know, you level up and you're like, shit, <laughs> you don't you don't get any time to really settle into something. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, like, to this day, I, I still I'm still learning how to do this job. You know, opening up opening up Tempest during COVID was was not the easiest thing in the world. I remember, like, 
you and I had like a COVID scare opening week and I got COVID yeah. and I had to like train the guys how to plate and cook the food over FaceTime, you know, two weeks before we opened the restaurant. Uh. Um, but, but being able to keep both stores in check was a, was a huge, huge challenge, especially with Charleston blowing up. Like when we came out of COVID, like Charleston was unbelievably busy, Yeah, you know, restaffing after all of that and being able to manage your time where the sales are happening. And then on top of that, being able to ensure that your, your newest project is operating properly. I mean, it took, it took a lot of hard work and attention for both of us. I don't think I could have done it without you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but, but that, that role, that new role has opened my eyes to just how I don't want to say like challenging and difficult it is for all of these, these operators that operate multiple properties. Like I, I used to envy that position, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm happy that I'm in that position, but at the same time, it like your, your work never stops. Mm-hmm. There's always something going on somewhere and you know, you're responsible for it. Mm-hmm. And so coming, coming into this role has been a huge humbling ex- experience as to <laughs> like everything that all of these multi-unit operators deal with. And, and, you know, I just have a new level of respect for their ability to do that. Right. I think one of the things that's really challenging in our position and what we're, what we're doing is that, you know, multi, multi multi-units is difficult. Managing people is super difficult. The hard, I think hard, the hardest part of our job, you know, the food is, is the fun part for me. I think for you too. I yeah, think that's we, why we, we get enjoy that. Like that's the thing. Like we, when we when we need a break, like we'll go and we'll we'll cook together, right? We'll pull out some shit and say, "Hey, let's work on a dish and let's be creative and cook some stuff." Um, that's the easy stuff. But our stores are not cookie cutter corporate restaurants. We don't have a corporate playbook where it's like, you know, the soup is the soup is the soup is the soup, no matter where you go, right? It's like yeah. each chef has each executive chef or CDC and in, in the respective restaurants has some control over the menu and the direction. Obviously we oversee all that and we approve stuff, but, but that creates a disconnect between the menus and the, the playbooks for each store. And that's a lot to manage it is. Um, as instead of just like mastering one playbook and saying, okay, I'm going to teach everybody to be this, you know, this cog in the machine. Right. Yeah. So, expanding and allowing space for the individual chefs to like grow into their own is a difficult model, but it's going pretty well. Yeah. I mean, from what I can tell, we've got, we got, we have great chefs working with us. How, how is it for you working with them? I love it. I think that going back to the model you just described as every restaurant is different is is the the, the winning token for us like mm-hmm. you know who wants to work for a company if you're a serious chef who wants to work for a company that you have to do everything that some corporate you know some corporate guy tells you to do right. you know you some wanna... guy that you may not even ever meet exactly comes up with a, a recipe or a dish and is like boom yep here <laughs> it gets go. spit out of a fax machine and like here you go you're gonna make this yeah. here's the picture it needs to look like that right you know that's that's not why we get in the business man we mm-hmm. get we get in the business because we want to you know flex our creativity and we want to have fun with the food 
you know, and having the model that we do where each, each chef has the ability to have control over their menu is that, like I said before, the winning token. And it's great because we are able to get really good talent and we work with a lot of talented chefs and I'm super proud of our team and how they evolve. Let's shift into, because you just said how, you, how proud you are to work with all these guys and all that. Yeah, yeah. And so let's move into how this part of your career has opened up for you. So now a lot of your, you just got finished. I wouldn't say finished, but um, you're coming out of the opening from Nashville. Yeah. We've hired an executive chef here. Mm-hmm. Um, who's very good. We're excited about him. He's, he's still training some of the some of the system stuff related to our group and, and the financial part of what we do. But as, from a leadership standpoint, um, from a food standpoint, he's very good. And so your focus will start to expand to the other stores again. You'll start traveling a bit more and spending time with, you know, our chefs in Charleston and Charlotte. Yep. Are you looking forward to that? Are you, what, 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 what's going on with you as far as that? Because I know that's going to be a change for you, is that? It is. You know, um, ever since we, I've been in my new role, um, I haven't done a lot of traveling and a lot of on-site follow-up, you know. Pretty much that's been like your job. Mm-hmm. And I've been, you know, the store opener, okay? And so coming out of, of Nashville, going back into or getting into that role is going to be a new learning experience and a challenge for me all right going into the store what questions do i need to ask the chefs Mm -hmm. what what things do i need to follow up immediately what things do i need to follow up you know once a month those kind of things you know Mm -hmm. and i'm excited for the challenge i'm looking forward to it I, i like i said before i'm super proud of all of our chefs and you know i don't always get to see them you know and so being able to spend time with them and you know sharing some knowledge and cooking with them, that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. And I look forward to that a lot. How has moving from, so you are now, you're a profit sharing partner. Mm-hmm. You're part of the Only We LLC. Yes. Talk about that a little bit. I think that's an interesting thing that's developed over, I think, when you guys started about a year ago. The, that, yeah, Only We was formed about a year ago. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Okay. So like what that is, how it came to be, what, how it works for you. So this, our, our company is absolutely phenomenal. You know, o- ownership uh, takes, takes care of us incredibly well. And one of the things that they started doing, uh, I think it was year three and, in Charleston, mm-hmm. was they, they gave like the key executives on site, you know, a piece of the pie. Right. And so um, I think year three, I got I got some some percentage points of the business and that was directly related to my employment. OK. And so the, the last two years that I worked and well, actually it's probably been the last three, four years of my employment here, I've I've had some points in Charleston. OK. Uh, but if I left or got fired, those points went away. Mm-hmm. OK. And so. About a year ago, we had the opportunity to to buy into LaBelle Helene, okay? Um, and that was something that we had to earn. The five top executives in, in the company that w- were not direct ownership um, had the opportunity to buy in, and we did. 
And so we formed our own LLC uh, investment company called Only We LLC. And we, we bought a certain amount of percentage points from LaBelle Helene. And that was the start to kind of our investment into the company and being able to take more of an ownership role with our current endeavors and our future endeavors. And having that ability and given that opportunity from ownership has been the most amazing thing because not only does it come with the money benefits of it, but it comes with the, the certain level of trust that they have given to us to you know, own our departments and to make those hard, high-level decisions and to make their jobs easier. And being, being in that club to where you're, you're the trusted one gives you a sense of pride Mm-hmm. And that that you just can't explain when you're when you're working for someone like like my my loyalty to this company is unreal due to not only the opportunities that they've given us but to to those it speaks to those sorts of things too that are directly related to the the trust mm-hmm. and the sacrifices that they have made for us like you Alejandro and, and Patrick didn't have to do that for us right you know yeah but you guys have made a sacrifice you guys sacrificed your points mm-hmm. for for us to you know take financial gain and ownership with you guys and you know I think one of the things that has been become apparent to us you know Pat myself and Alejandro and I think I can speak for them on this is is that you know, obviously that is not, that was not something that was offered to us when we were employees for somebody or managers or chefs or whatever for other people. We weren't offered ownership. Hey, here's, you, this is how you get a piece of the pie, right? Because people don't really like to share. But I think one thing that we all agree on and have learned is that the strength of your business and the strength of your group is so much stronger if you've got people with skin in the game. And by skin in the game, I don't mean like your salary pays your bills, right? Pays your rent, puts food on the table. Like you guys now share in the ownership of the business, the goods and the bads. Like when we lose money, you lose money, (laughs) you know? And and it makes it real in a way where you guys, you know, have a have a real vested interest and and connection to the the success of the business from a financial level, from, you know, a reputation level, from a workplace. Like, what does it feel like to be at work today? You know, I don't like, I would never want to walk into a restaurant that I owned that, you know, had a negative vibe or felt, you know what I mean? And so it gives you this real interest in making sure it's the best that it can be. Yeah. You know, and that, that's the real importance to us, I think. And why, it's worth it to us to sacrifice some of our shares to give it to people that that have earned that. Yeah, definitely. And you look at things differently too. In what way? So, you know, when you're not financially invested, you you don't see every every penny. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, walking in the door when you're financially invested, you observe what's going on, and you notice inefficiencies. You notice waste. You notice Poor, poor morale, mm-hmm. and and you just can't help but go attack those problems immediately. <laughs> you yeah. know, yep. and it's it puts it 
it puts us in a position to where we we act like owners. Mm-hmm. And I think that this, the, you guys' strategy is brilliant. Like having, you know, another set of owners at each location is, I, th- I think, priceless. Yeah. You know, and the system works. It's, mm-hmm. it's great. So far, it's working, for sure. We'll knock on wood. Yeah. Cool. So, all right. So that's kind of got you to here now. Now we're working on um, the Denver store, Mm -hmm. Church in Union Denver. That kitchen is going to have some challenges. We're moving the kitchen from the main floor, um, street level, down into the basement. We're having to raise some roofs and, like, move some things around. What What do you... What do you foresee or what are you looking at right now in Denver as far as challenges that you think you have to face? And B, so that's the first question, could be related to the menu, I don't, whatever, whatever you're kind of looking at in that project um, as, you know, a potential challenge. And then what do you, I'm curious what your thoughts are about the direction for the menu. We have a chef okay. lined up, by the way. We do. We're not going to talk about him yet. I'm excited to work with this yeah. with chef too. Yeah. Um, so he's going to have he's going to have some, you know, some uh, influence in where we go with the menu. But I'm curious right now in the very beginning stages where we're starting to like really, it's real now. We have the keys. We we're designing the kitchen. We have the layout. Now, what's what are the challenges you're facing, and what are your thoughts about the menu right now? So so challenge number one when it's related to the food Mm -hmm. is so I lived in Denver for like two two and a half years and um, I remember cooking at altitude was a whole nother ball game Mm -hmm. versus cooking at sea level Um, all of our restaurants are currently at sea level so (laughs) and I and I was in I was in Denver like late 2007 to 2010 and so it's been so long since I've cooked at altitude that I've forgotten all my my tricks Right. Maybe that's why that omelet at Shea Maggie was so fluffy. Maybe. <laughs> it was the altitude. <laughs> I've been trying to figure out how the hell they did that. And I think you might have just tapped into it. <laughs> Maybe. Anyways. Um, so, so. That's a getting, shout out yeah. to Chef Ludo, by the way. <laughs> so getting that, the altitude down as far as the, the cooking um, aspect of it is, is going to be a challenge. And it's, we're going to have some, some trial and error there. But. I think that with all the work that we did the last few days, as far as kitchen design, you know, I'm I'm confident that 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 kitchen's gonna have nice flow, and we're gonna we're gonna be able to do the damn thing out of it. Mm-hmm. As far as the menu direction, when I lived there, the the big big ticket items were game game meats like elk, quail, rattlesnake, bison. All of that kind of stuff, you know, mid Midwest fare, like what you could find in the plains and in the mountains versus what we're used to, which mm-hmm. is the coast. You yeah. know, we've had we've had the coast next to us the last <laughs> decade. Yep. So now we got to change gears and go into, you know, a big game and figure out how we're going to tell our story through that. You mm-hmm. know, can I give us a, a spoiler alert? Sure. As far as one, one of the things that you, think you're, you can tell us whatever you're oh, thinking about. OK, okay. so. You can expect to find <laughs> some form of bison short ribs on this menu. Hey, you've been talking about bison short ribs for, for a couple of weeks now. I know. It's <laughs> so, uh, I mean, just I, I love short ribs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're going to be in, in Colorado, why not? Have you cooked bison short ribs before? I have on the bone. Are they, 
how is the fat content of the bison short rib going to compare to the fat content of a of a like a, a really nice prime or choice uh, short rib? It's not there. So bison is is leaner. Tricky. It is. So what we're going to have to do uh, is go low and slow for a very long time to get the tenderness and retain the moisture. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're going to have to play around with that, but. We'll, we'll be we'll be able to do yeah. it. We, we've uh, got the technology. Yeah. So yeah, those Unox, the Unox. This is my shout out plug for Unox because um, those guys have been amazing to us. Absolutely. Um, we have their their combi ovens in all of our restaurants now. Is that true? All of them? yeah, all the restaurants. Um, yeah. No. No. Uh, La, La does not yet, but, but we have an Averio there. Yeah. So which are also amazing pieces of equipment, but the Unox combi ovens. They really have been a game changer as far as like I I always cook this. I remember when you and I went and we uh, we did the testing in the in the facility in the Unox facility and you know the chef there was like running us through the programs and how the machines work and stuff. And I had not realized how out of step that I was in my cooking. Like I'm so old school and came up so traditionally in the kitchens that like I didn't even have experience cooking with this type of technology. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> braising to me is like in a rondo, like in a big pot, <laughs> like in the oven, <laughs> yep. you know, not in like a steamer oven thing. And I just, rem- and that, that has actually been a great tool for me to open my horizons and expand my culinary journey a little bit. Is like taking a lot of the stuff that, that I'm interested in the way that I cook and applying these new techniques with. So I think using that kind of technology, being able to braise, maybe a a leaner short rib like that will will be able to make it really juicy and nice. I think the ticket is the Averio. Yeah. I think we we sear it, we get the and nice slow cook it in that thing. Slow cook it in the Averio yeah. for like 2 days. So for those of you that don't know, the Averio <laughs> is basically like they 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 coined it to us as being a hot fridge. Basically, it's like a little, it's like a refrigerator in your dorm room, but it has very specific humidity and temperature controls. Um, It's not an oven, so it doesn't go to high temperatures. You're not going to be able to bake or like cook a souffle or do anything like that in there. What what temperature does it go up to? Like 200 degrees maybe? Or like 185, something like that? Yeah, I think right around 200. Yeah, so it's like like around 200. So you couldn't even boil water you know, yeah. in this thing, but, but it does get hot and you can't cook at a very, very low, but controlled settings, which is, is an interesting thing that we'll be able to play with. Yeah. It's like if any of the listeners know what an alto sham is, mm-hmm. it's like a, like a smart alto sham, like a smarter alto sham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That'll, um, be, that'll be fun. Cool. Yeah. So, so bison short ribs will be on the menu. I'm, for, for sure. Yeah, you've been talking about them nonstop. I mean, dude, what, what other kind of things are you thinking about for for the Denver's location? Definitely um, s- simple food done mm-hmm. well and sticking to the basics. I think there as far as, you know, give, give them what they want. They want they want game meats. They want, you know, Midwest just specific foods. I, re- I think it'll be fun, too, because it's stuff that we haven't played with a ton of in our other stores i mean we've you know we've we've cooked venison and we've done stuff like that but not not with any sort of regularity or or focus yeah and i think that'll be a really fun avenue for us to play with and another fun aspect is is 
sourcing out the best of these ingredients too. Like anyone can just order venison, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or bison, but finding that bison, that's the best finding Mm -hmm. the bison that has got the best marbling. That's, you know, the axis deer, that's the best, Mm -hmm. you know, the Cervina elk that's, that's going to, you know, knock people's socks off. That's going to be the fun part too. Just sourcing out all those, all those things that make a simple dish that much better, Mm -hmm. you know? But yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked about this about this menu. It's going to be a little nostalgic, and I was even thinking about playing with some Rocky Mountain oysters too. Whoa! All right, chef. Yeah. I mean, I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> you gonna get them fresh or frozen? How would it? For, oh, fresh, hundred <laughs> percent. Awesome, cool, man. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about that, and I'm excited to talk a little bit more about our chef for there too. Yeah, I don't want to do. I don't want to disclose anything on the podcast yet about what we're doing there. But we've had some talks with with him. He's a young, inspired, focused chef. This will be his first EC gig, I think. I mean, we're going to kind of we're, we have the the luxury of being able to kind of I think coach him into this role. Um, so that'll be fun to see how that goes. And I can't wait to see what kind of team we put together there. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Like, we got a really good team here in Nashville. We need I to find a pastry chef. Yeah. That's going to be the real baking at altitude. <laughs> yes. We're, yeah. I don't know if our, our current team will be able to handle that kind of. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know. I don't even know, like, how that. I've never cooked at altitude like that before. Yeah. It's, so it's this is going to be this is going to be a new thing for, for both of us to figure out. Yeah. So. Plug, this is a plug for local. We need a local pastry chef to hit us up. Yeah, hit us up. <laughs> hit us up if please. You, uh, yeah, if you're looking for a spot. All right, cool. So let's see. Currently, you are you're in Nashville. Mm-hmm. We start getting you on the travel a little bit. What what's the plan for you? Do we know where home base is? Are you gonna are you gonna end up in Denver? Are you gonna head back to Charleston? What's what's next for you? You and your family. You have a, a one year old son. I do. And a wife. I do. Uh, so I don't think those plans are 100% set yet. You know, we're, we're flexible to, you know, what is best for the company uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I don't think that that decision has been made, you know. And I think that shortly we'll come to the right decision after discussing with, with, with you and Patrick on what's best for the company, what's best for the family, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the future and looking forward to, you know, Ophelia's and, you know, Church and Union Denver and then what else we might have coming down the pipeline. Opening up restaurants has become fun, yeah, which is really odd to say because it's normally <laughs> really stressful. But right. I think that we have enough under our belt now to where we have it kind of down to a science. Yeah. Well, we definitely have – we have the, the concepts that we're doing well figured out. I think Ophelia's will be the new – the new challenge for us. It's a new concept, one that we're not currently doing. You can talk about that if you want. But Church and Union, we, I mean, it's a tried and true concept that we are second nature. It's second nature to us. So that I could see as being fun. The hardest part is staffing. Like, how do you find the right people to to work in this environment? It takes time. Yeah, it definitely takes, it takes patience. It takes focus. It takes... Yeah, all that, all that stuff to get it together. I but mean, it took six months in Nashville for us to get the right team in place to cycle through some people, rehire, and get to a point to where every person on the team 
I feel is invested in their job. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's probably one of the quickest turnarounds on getting a team uh, solid and in place that I've ever experienced. Yeah. Well, great job with that too, by the way. So I've been in Nashville for the past 24 hours, 48 hours. Yeah. Um, And the team, I'm very impressed with the team here. They're focused. They're all kind of on the same page. They now kind of have, it's clear that they, they, they know their areas of responsibility and everybody's kind of chipping away at their, their stuff. And that's a really great thing to see this early on, you know, in a, in an opening, you know, we haven't even hit a year yet and it's already starting to really hum like a, a well oiled machine. So kudos to you for that. Thank you, chef. Yeah, man. Keep it up. That's, that's great. Cool. What else do you want to talk about? Anything else? We're creeping up on an hour right now. I try not to go too much further over an hour, but um, is there anything else you want to talk about yourself or your journey or your vision? Or, I mean, I'm just looking forward to the next chapter. You know, mm-hmm. we now I'm the the VP of Culinary Ops. It's it's going to be a whole new ball game, and we have more restaurants to open. You know. <laughs> more things to do more responsibility <laughs> it's going to be a, a real test to to my ability and how how has that changed for you while you were saying that i was thinking about like like my own kind of growth right going as like from a cdc from somebody else to the ec at my own restaurant that i'm a partner in to you know chef partner of multiple units and then you know being now being kind of like the leader of the culinary for, for our group and then having, you know, I have you as my right hand and then uh, we've got Sharif and a, a group of amazing chefs that now I'm working directly with. And I, so I was thinking in my head about how my job has changed so much, right? For you, what's the biggest change that you're kind of, you're dealing with right now from going as like an EC, um, hands on the ground, head of the restaurant to VP where you're kind of in charge of a group of stuff. So I'm right now I'm based out of Nashville. And so I am engulfed in the Nashville store every day. And so being able to handle everything from the other stores, like it's my store is, is one of the biggest challenges because I have a load of work to do at my base store every day and being able to keep with all keep up with all of it is it's it's hard you know um and and moving into a role where i have actually i think going getting back on the road might make things a lot a little easier because mm-hmm. i'll have i'll have time to be able to focus on you know labelle helene for a day or two Mm -hmm. charlotte for a day or two and charleston you know without being completely engulfed in one operation because most of the time right now i feel like i'm answering as the executive chef for church and union nashville instead of the executive chef for the company right so trans you know transforming from from that response to you know answering for the whole company and being able to have a grasp over everything that I need to do at all those stores and everything I have to keep in line. That's, that's going to be the biggest challenge. Yeah. Well, luckily we have, we have a great team of, of guys and, and gals working for us. So that's, that makes it a little easier for Definitely. sure. Having a team of people that are capable and hardworking is, is, you know, is key. So yeah, cool, man. Well, Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I'm definitely going to have you back on here again. We're having a lot to talk about over the months as we get into Denver. I think that'll be an interesting story to share with our listeners as we kind of get into the development process of the menu. We can start, we maybe, you know, 
have some conversations on the podcast about that. I think it'll be fun for people to, to hear how we approach that stuff and, you know, how we get from a blank piece of paper to a, you know, multi-course menu Definitely. Uh, for a restaurant. That'll be fun. In the meantime, great job with everything. And thanks for your time. Thanks, Chef. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, buddy.